Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I am so excited to be here today. Thank you for tuning in to the Firetime Podcast. Now, I know I say it every week, but I'm really excited about today, and I mean it. Because we're talking about innovation, and that is something that is very near to my heart. I believe that if anyone is an expert at anything, then over time, we need to find ways to innovate what we do and constantly be disrupting ourselves. Now, there's a difference between that and constantly trying to fix what's not broken. But I believe that the longer we do something and the better that we become, the more humility we should show to realize that we don't have it figured out and there are ways to innovate and to be better. Now, I'm so excited for you all to hear the conversation today because we're talking with the president of a, of a pretty large fireplace company and he actually talks about what innovation looked like for them and he tells a story about how they used to be a huge manufacturer of one type of product. It was what they were completely known for. And they saw something coming and they actually made a pivot and they completely reinvented themselves. And now on the other side of things is a really, really good idea that they did that. Uh, But it took some innovation and it took a lot of humility. Another thing that we get into in the conversation is the idea that, especially in this industry, we fight tunnel vision. And Tim Rethlake talked about this back in episode one that You know, the longer you do something, the easier it is to get blinders on and to think that you have it all figured out and that your way is the best way. And I am I am constantly reminding myself that we need to eliminate that tunnel vision. And just because we've done something for five years or 10 years or 20 years doesn't mean we should keep doing it that way. In fact, I think it's a really bad answer to say, well, we've been doing it for 20 years that way when you're challenged on something. I I don't think that that works. Now, if something has proven itself to be good and to be useful and to be efficient, so therefore you've been doing it for 20 years, that's great. But I think that uh, a lot of our businesses suffer from the, well, that's the way it's always been done mentality. One of the last things that we start to talk about in this conversation that's coming up is kind of the difference between leadership and management. I want you to listen when I ask Sherbel that question because his answer is really, really good. And if there's one thing that I would challenge you with as you're going into this episode is if you are in any type of a leadership position, I would challenge yourself to think really hard about the difference between management and leadership and how leadership really offers way more upside and way more opportunity. So with all that, we'll circle back at the end. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Joining me all the way from Victoria, British Columbia, this is the president of Sherwood Industries, the manufacturer of Enviro Fireplaces. This company is led by some of the smartest, most innovative, and humble people that I've met in our industry. I am joined by Sherbel Youssef. What's up, Sherbel? How you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me on this podcast, uh, Tim. It's a pleasure and an honor to be involved in this. We appreciate it. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. I'm really excited for what you're going to bring to the table. So um, for those of us listening that are not familiar with Sherwood and Enviro, can you just fill us in on kind of the journey that you've been on so far? Well, we um, started Sherwood Industries in uh, 1989. Um, three people got together and uh, myself and two partners. And uh, 
we hoped to start a company that was building or going to build wood stoves and uh, uh, on a very small scale and be local. But uh, I guess the entrepreneurship in us took over. And before you know it, we were building um, more than wood stoves. And uh, we started uh, going uh, heavily into pellet stoves. And uh, the market took off on us. And uh, what started up to be $2 million in business went to $5 million, to $10 million, to $20 million, And the growth kept going. So we thought, well, we'll just keep investing and keep growing. And um, the pellet business became much stronger. And we expanded our market from um, Victoria to the rest of Canada, to the U.S. And eventually, we were one of the largest pellet manufacturers in Europe before all manufacturers in Europe got into the pellet business. So in 1994, we started branching into the gas products. But it wasn't a big part of our business. Our focus remained on pellet and it consumed our capacities and our investments and our production and uh, the market continued to grow on us. And now we are where we are supplying pellet, wood and gas products. And for a period of time, we did supply as well uh, grills, which we sold quite a lot of them before the market get flooded a lot with uh, imports. Wow. So that, I mean, that's a long journey. And this is, this goes into, into the next question pretty well is that I would imagine five years ago, anyone would have known Enviro as a pellet stove company, Yes, but that's changed. And were you guys intentional about shifting the focus to innovation in gas or did that just happen on its own? Yes, it was very intentional. Um, we, we have been watching the, the growth of pellet uh, products or pellet sales for for a decade and a half, for two decades almost, and we felt there is a lot of cyclical events that affect the strength of that business. And that has a direct effect on the employment at our factory and how continuous we can keep people working when we are faced with the prices of oil going up and it's cold weather on the East Coast and uh, you get um, the pellet fuel prices are low. Those are all favorable uh, factors to increase the demand for pellet stoves. But the reverse is true. So whenever that is not there, then the demand is very low. So we were riding peaks and lows for years and years and years. And that did not really um, encourage us to make further investments in, in, into that field. So we started working very hard on gas products and monitored the market. We assembled a great team of sales managers, uh, put them across the country, and we wanted to be ready for that gas growth. So we were very, very focused on how we're going to get there and how the shift will happen. And it was very, very encouraging to see that the marketplace was ready for us. But the shift wasn't easy because when you are known for making a certain product and your strength is in it, all of a sudden you're stepping into a different field. You got to be equal or better than the other competitor or manufacturer. So yeah, it was, it was well planned. It was well executed. We were a little bit lucky, but a lot more focused than lucky. We stuck to our business plan and uh, the results now are pretty well 
uh, amazing and they speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. Demand on our gas product line is very high, as much as pellet. Um, our gas sales now have surpassed pellet by a uh, few folds and wood as well. So it tells us that we made the right decision five years ago when we decided to steer the ship in that direction. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Now, the real reason that I wanted to talk to you, I mean, there's a lot of good things that you bring to the table, but I want to talk to you about innovation in particular, because I was at your plant a few months back, and I was I was just blown away at the innovation that you guys have. I've, I've never seen anything like it. And just the mindset, the products, um, everything was very forward-thinking. And so yes. I, I just want to ask about the mindset that you have at Sherwood. Well, our mindset was set when we uh, purchased the other shareholders. Uh, my current business partner, Stuart O'Connor, um, he's been with the company for 17, 18 years uh, in, as an employee. And uh, uh, when the opportunity presented itself, he and I bought all the other shareholders in the business. And we knew right off the bat that we have to do something different and very special to change the culture in the company. I mean, the culture was good before, but it's great now and bordering on excellence simply because of the enthusiasm and ownership being more involved in the business. So our mindset was, if we're gonna build the best products, we have to have the best equipment. And uh, we ventured out and spent six to seven million dollars basically over four or five years purchasing all the equipment that you saw at the factory. And even after you left, more equipment did come. So we went more towards automation, efficiency. So we knew we needed to be competitive to get better market share. But over and above that, you had to have dealers and the dealers had to be happy with your service. So we embarked on changing the whole structure of the, of the, of the company, basically, from the R&D department, the sales department, to uh, looking how we're going to deal with the dealers and the distributors and how we're going to service them. So it wasn't just the innovation in acquiring newer equipment, but also the mindset, as you put it, into this is the focus, this is the goal, we're going to be there in five years. And fortunately, you came and saw us at the end tail of those five years after all this was done. So if you came earlier, it would have been a little bit different. You would have seen kind of a, a, a half innovation, but uh, it's amazing. We have, I, I believe we have one of the best teams assembled in this industry. Our sales uh, managers are amazing. They are so in tuned and in touch with the market. Their feedback is extremely valuable and we execute based on their feedback. Our team inside the company is very strong when it comes to uh, the R&D department, the marketing department. And, and one of the neat things we did, as you can tell, we're not a $100 million company. We're not publicly owned. Uh, basically, ownership is involved in the decision-making process every day. And you have tried both Stuart and I and took us up on our offer and tested us. You realize we do call back our customers we get back to people within the same day, if not within the same hour. We pride ourselves on being in touch. And I think that's a mindset, like you put it. Uh, we are committed and we have passion for what we do. And that's important. So what you saw when you were up here and the reason you were impressed was the culmination of all these factors coming together at their best. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I keep thinking about this word innovation because I've been tracking your guys' products for a while, but I feel like in the last two years, uh, your stuff is pushing limits of any manufacturer out there. When you look at the linear fireplaces that you have, the the G series that just came out, I mean, you guys are doing some cool, cool things. And I heard a story yes. a while back that I want to I want to ask you about it and have you tell it. I heard a story that you had a seasoned R and D team, and you decided to move a different direction and bring in a bunch of untested young kids. Can you tell that story for us? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I wouldn't say untested young kids. Those those are good engineers that okay. have been to school. Um, I think they, you know, sometimes in companies you have a little bit of a groove where everybody falls into it and innovation goes stale or you lose enthusiasm. And what I found is that um, with our R&D department, after having the same personnel in it for 15 years, they were there were no motivation there. We couldn't get the push from them. We couldn't excite them. And no fault of theirs. It's just sometimes some people being in the same position, they just lose interest. Yeah, you get that tunnel vision after a while. Exactly. And then you're not looking, you know, or thinking outside the box, which is the most important thing you can do in an industry that is ever-changing and growing and competitive. So we made a gutsy decision when we purchased the company that in order to do better and to do something different, we have to try a different team. So we slowly improved the R&D department and eventually had it all replaced. And our set goal was this, we will go out and bring people out of university or college that have gotten all the smarts and experience as far as academics is concerned. But we wanted to train them ourselves. So the decision was that we would take a step backward for a year and we would take three or four forward for the next 10 years. And it worked out exactly how we figured it would by luck or by design it worked out very well because the most important thing I think is when you have a team, they have to have a common interest and a common goal. So with us, it was the age group of the engineers coming out of school. They had a lot in common as a team. And that, that speaks a lot because they want to work together. They want to help each other. They want to succeed together. And the neat thing, all of them are starting up their new families and having kids. So there's a lot to bring to the table, stability, excitement. And I think what really intrigued the, the team was the fact that I'm out fresh out of school and I'm going to design something that's going to heat the home and people are going to walk into a store and buy it. And I've never seen a team's eyes lit up so good and so nice when they actually got that in their head. Like, I'm a designer that's going to design something that people want to buy. And I think that just was amazing, amazing spark to see in their eyes. Something that we lacked with the previous team. And, you know, I want to take my hat off to the, to the previous R&D department because without them, we wouldn't be here. So it's like everything else. It's an evolution to get innovation. You have to think differently. You have to think outside the box. And you have to push the limit. Yeah. That, that makes so much sense. And I love what you said about 
investing in new people because I've had a lot of people on my sales team that have been brought in and they're less than three, four years into the industry. And it's been so cool to train them up into our image versus undo 10 years or 15 years of tunnel vision or bad habits or whatever you want to call it. And and we've seen that yeah. you, you do have to go slow that first year. There's no way around it. But you know, exactly. just like the motto of this podcast is slow is fast. If you go slow in that first year and dive deep and mold them into your image, man, you can run so fast on the back end because they don't, they don't know any yes. better. I mean, they're saying, what do you mean? I can't do this. Why can't I, you know, they don't have 15 years of saying, no, you can't do that. And they just live in their box. Instead, they're pushing the envelope because they don't know any different. Exactly. Exactly. Wow, that's cool. Well, so, you know, everyone has challenges in front of them, but you guys are just, you're in a unique space to move quickly. I've seen, like you're talking about, hearing from your salespeople and making very tight adjustments to market demands and sales trends. Right. How has your leadership helped move things along quickly without getting bogged down? Well, I think one one of the things that we have is a great team. And to lead, you have to have a very good and a strong team. And as I said, in our um, planning from four or five years ago, we wanted to have one of the best sales teams out there. And that's where it started, you know, getting the right information to the R&D who would build the right product. And then from there, having the sales and marketing department take it through to the dealer or the distributor. And the most important thing is sticking to a business model. I think what I've seen leadership is gets diluted when you start going in too many different direction. And as a company, we have always sold through distributors and as tempting as it gets hearing other stories about growth and expansion going through dealers or dealer direct per se. Um, it never really enters our calculations or our uh, changes or our cash flows, we are focused on sticking with the distributor, and that is our business model. So, when you're leading a company of of our size, you have to work with the people you have, and you have to point them in the right direction. You do have to be laser focused in in in, in our execution. We have to be uh, focused on the end goal, and that is translating basically taking your your vision into saleable products, putting it out there. And uh, you can do it. You can be a great leader, but you have to have great people around you. And in particular, I'm blessed to have somebody like Stuart, who is uh, an amazing organized person that could keep the ship also pointed in the right direction. So leadership comes from both of us in different aspects of our business. I have to give a lot of credit to Stuart. Without him, we wouldn't be here. So uh, that's very important. But uh, we do listen a lot to our customers. We do listen to our employees and our staff. If I was to highlight the most important part of being an effective leader or leaders in a company, you'd have to have an incredibly strong level of communication. So to that level, what we do, we, we have something we didn't invent, but we kind of borrowed from other large corporations that they use. Uh, we have a meeting every morning in our boardroom where I'm sitting right now at 9 a.m. And in that meeting, we have all the department heads. The meeting could range from five minutes 
to 20 minutes, but it cannot last more than 20 minutes. So everybody in that meeting is held accountable to what's going on with their departments and issues are brought up. So when you have nine or 10 people with me and Stuart being in the boardroom and we're making notes, we know exactly what's going on. Manager. So it's much easier to lead that way by actually having everybody held accountable and everybody pulling on the same or in the same direction. And I think communication is a big thing. If you don't have it, you don't have information to base decisions on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because you're getting information in real time exactly. and you're keeping your finger on the pulse of the company. And, th and that gives you the ability to, to pivot quickly because you're having those conversations on a daily basis. You're staying in touch with both the needs of your sales team, but then also the reality of the different departments you have in your company. That's great. Very much so, yes. Now, you, you talked about investing in your people, and I want to ask you this question because you told me something when you took me to the airport after I was out at your out of your plant that really stuck with me, and I think it's an amazing mentality, and if more companies understood this, they would highly increase the amount of productivity and, and engagement they had from their team members. But you said that your, your mentality was essentially that, you know, you say, I ask people what they want to get paid, I pay them that. And then I say, go out and earn it. Exactly. Talk about that. Well, you know, I, I've often seen when we, and I learned that from experience, we interview people for, for a position and it seems always money is the driving factor in, in the equation. And it should be because everybody has a family, everybody is looking to improve their lifestyle. And after doing it for 20 years, I decided that I'm going to take a different approach with this and get kind of the elephant out of the room right off the bat. So whenever we interview somebody, just to give you an example, we had a, a manager a year ago join us at a high level in our company. And off the bat, you're going to make the money you want, you will get to make it in the first year, you call it. So I asked, how much would you like to make? And he gave me the number. And I said, well, how much do you want to make in year number three? And he goes, that's how much I want to make in year number three. I said, okay, let's draft up a contract and then you know you're going to get this. But here's what I'm expecting. And if you don't deliver this, well, then there is no job. It's not we'll drop your pay because you got to put your, 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 your bets right on what you think you can deliver. And I think by taking the financial burden of somebody even if you paid him 5000 more or 10000 because now he's free of that worry, how am I going to get paid? What am I going to get reviewed? Well, if you put all these fears to rest, I find people work harder. And the other thing you have to give with that is basically you have to let them uh, be autonomous after you train them. That is a huge thing because now they almost own part of your business because they own their job. And... It is amazing how well it has served us when we make the people accountable to what they do and they get well paid and get that out of the way right from the get-go. It, it might not seem a lot, but the reason I like it is I find they respond better and they become better managers. Um, and I have to tell you, since we adopted that policy, it has been amazing for us. Um, if you can deliver, if you can design, if you can get more sales, if you can improve efficiency or productivity, all power to you, we will reward you. 
and it's all based on how well the company does. Well, that's really smart because it grows accountability too. Because when someone steps up to the plate and says, I want this much money and you go, okay, now you're going to have to go earn it. Exactly. It, it gives, it, it, it empowers them, but there's a sense of responsibility where you're going to hold them accountable and you're going to say, look, we're paying you this much money and these are the expectations and you're either you know, meeting or exceeding those expectations or you're not. And it makes it a really simple conversation where if you are not delivering on the value that you've said you're worth, it's an easy conversation. But if you are delivering on the value you've said you're worth, then perfect. Let's just keep going. And, and you know, we always reward our, our staff. We always are looking for ways and means to look after them. Uh, we believe that you have to have a happy atmosphere for the employees to work in and, and go home with no financial burden over their head. Yeah, that's really good. We we talk a lot with our sales team, and this is great for people listening. Maybe they're not in a manufacturing role, but maybe they're like me where they run a sales team where we have a yearly conversation with our team members, and we say, how much money do you want to make this year? And we'll say, yeah. perfect. Okay, let's let's build some sales goals, and let's make this happen. That The goal is our comp plan becomes a vehicle for them to achieve their dreams as opposed to a burden where they feel like we're nickel and diming them. And I think that that shift in mentality, once – it's like it's like Maslow's hierarchy. Once you can get past uh, just being so desperate to put food on your table every day, all of a sudden you can think about bigger things. And I, I would argue that, like you're saying, when you remove that financial roadblock and you say, look, finances aren't going to be an issue, but you're going to have to earn it, that opens the door for innovation that would never be there if you were so hung up on on the finance part of it. Absolutely. And, and we feel that when you have a disgruntled employee or, or a team member, it's kind of contagious. They start talking and, you know, every corporate atmosphere is different. And sometimes you always have people not feeling they are well rewarded or they could be rewarded more. This way, it's not in our hands. This way, we agreed to it. This is what you wanted. We gave you what you want. That's awesome. And I'm sure you, you get uh, texts like this or emails like this, but I love it when they happen where we have a couple new reps that we brought on recently that I'm working on training and everything. And one of them came to me and said, man, these sales goals are high. Is it going to be hard to hit them? And I said, yeah, they are high and it will be hard to hit them, but I believe you can do it. And I, I put him in touch with one of our more seasoned reps that sells at a real high volume. And this guy that's been with us for a while, literally the day before it texted me and he just said, I'm so thankful for the comp plan that we have. And I love being a part of this team and contributing to the goal of the company. And it's so cool to have people a little bit further down the path that believe in the system. And, and even though they get paid well, they want to make the company every dollar they can because they believe in it. And the company has given them the vehicle to achieve their dreams. And it's cool to have them kind of take some of these newer people under their wing that are nervous at looking at these sales goals saying, yeah, it's going to be hard, but if you work really hard, you're going to do it. The reward is there. That's great. Well, you mentioned Stuart, your business partner, and he's he's a great guy. It was awesome getting to know him when I was up there. And since since I've been up there, him and I have shared some resources. And he recently turned me on to this book by Howard Schultz. He was the CEO of Starbucks for a long time. I'm not sure what his title is there now. But the book's called Pour Your Heart Into It. And it was amazing to read and just it gave me really good insight into the way that Stuart thinks. And what, one of the things that Schultz talks about is the difference between leading and managing. At one point, Schultz uh, took away his title of CEO and his only title was leader. You've, you've, we've kind of touched around it a little bit, but can you yes. speak yes. just clearly on the difference between managing versus leading a company? I think managing is 
is a process where you actually deal with challenges that come your way every day. And you're basically, it's, it puts you in a position where you're almost deflecting punches. I think you have to, um, you have to figure out where do you go and, and what do you do in this situation and then give advice. So you're never having a vision. I think leading revolves more around, I would say, um, vision. Uh, you have to have a vision to lead and you have to be a, a proven visionary to have people to follow you on so many levels and believe in you. It's no different than you getting on a plane. You believe the captain can fly the plane. Otherwise, you, won't, you wouldn't go. So I think it's the same thing with a, with a company. You have to have vision versus managing situations, how to grow your company, what the challenges are there ahead of you. So you almost are looking a year to five years ahead of yourself and saying, here's what my plan A, B, and C, which is tough to do. So you always have to adjust because you could be faced with economic turmoil in the marketplace, uh, weather turmoil in our business, basically a warm year where inventories pack up. So these are things you can't account for, but you have to have them as part of your equation. So your vision has to be based A, on experience and B, on forward looking into what the market will do. I, and I seem to be more focused on what I've seen that does not work from experience, from reading or from whatever I come across. I want to know not what to do, but what not to do. And simply by knowing what not to do, your options kind of work themselves out. And so in, in leading, I think you have to apply those rules or those methods of thinking. Otherwise, you'd be sitting there managing a problem and you're waiting for the opportunity to fall in your lap while, you know, it may come, it may not come. But if you have a vision and you lead and you execute on it, well, you'll make it a reality. And even if you don't make it 100% reality and you make it 90%, you still have fulfilled or met some of your goals. That's really good. I've, I think you're right that vision is the critical piece, but I, I haven't heard it articulated quite that way. But I think you're right that vision is key. Seth Godin says that the difference between leading and managing is this. He says that, that managing will get you what you got yesterday a little bit more efficient and a little bit faster. That's all managing will get you. But leading will take you somewhere that you've never been before. And, and I love that you talked about that because I'm thinking back to, say, five, six years ago when you guys are known mostly as a pellet manufacturer, managing that situation, you might be able to get a little bit more efficiency in your production lines. You might be able to get product out a little bit faster. But it took leadership to say, we see an opportunity with gas and we are going to go out and get something that has not been there before. I think that that's absolutely terrific. That's, that's actually the perfect example to use in, in our case. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I love that you talk about making mistakes too. I, th I think it was Henry Ford that said, the people that never make mistakes work for the people that do. And I love that you talked about that. And to close out this interview, I want to put you on the spot. And I want to ask you, is there is there any mistake you've made in like the last five, 10 years that looking back on it, you are so thankful you didn't go that direction or that mistake actually turned into something incredible for you? Yes, we, we have made few mistakes, or I have made few mistakes. Um, there was a product line that we got into that we thought 
would be kind of seasonal product line. And um, it took off like crazy. And we thought we can base our uh, continuous employment for our staff by building this product line. And after doing a little bit of research, although it was so successful off the chart, I still saw limitations in it. And we pulled back on it slowly and slowly and slowly. And, and we realized that this would have been the wrong direction to take our company in. And very quickly decided that this is not where we're going to go. We're going to stay focused. Um, one, one regret I have is maybe we should have pursued gas product much sooner than the five years that we started five years ago. But I guess you have to arrive at a point where it becomes clear to you what the vision is and bet on it. And I think we did it at the right time. It could have been better if it was two years sooner, but that's okay. It's, uh, it got done, we're successful, we're here, and our factory runs at capacity. We have happy staff and an amazing network of distributors and dealers that support us. I think it's a dream position to be in for a manufacturer. That's amazing. Well, Sherbal, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate you coming to the table to talk leadership and innovation with us. No problem. Thank you very much, Tim, for having me and look forward to the next time. Thanks. We'll see you around. Bye-bye. Well, that was awesome. I hope that you guys got some great value out of that conversation. I love it every time I get a chance to talk to Sherbal. Him and his business partner, Stuart, have figured out some really cool things, and I would definitely keep my eyes on what they're doing because they've, they've got some serious, serious innovation. Now, I love how we ended the conversation and the difference between leadership and management, and it was so cool how Sherbal articulated it that leadership really has to do with vision. And I, you know, I don't know the position that all of you guys are in, but I can think of where I was when I was an installer where I was when I first started into sales and uh, even where I was a, a year ago as I was just starting to, to work on uh, really scaling a, a, a concept of what business could be. And I think that, that one of the keys to having success in this industry is to have vision because vision is like it's a North Star that points you forward. And I can think about, you know, even five years ago when I first started at Fireside Home Solutions here in Portland, I had this idea to innovate the way that we did our pricing, which sounds really boring. And basically, it was just spending a ton of time in Excel to uh, to really systematize it. But I, I can't tell you why I thought it was so important. There was a lot of people that said, oh, it's not that big of a deal. We can just use our, our manufacturer's price books. And I knew that we could. But in my head, I had this I had this vision, this North Star that said, you know what? I think that we should be able to quote any customer in less than five minutes for any product. And I think if we could do that, we could sell more fireplaces. And, and so I felt like I had to try to innovate our pricing because of that. And then once we did that, then it got a step further. Okay, well, now we need to figure out how we quote our customers because we need to be able to quote them quicker and we need to be more accurate in our quotes and they need to be able to see what it actually is and not feel like they're reading biblical Greek when they're looking at this thing. My point with that is that I think that vision is where it starts. And I would not discount the vision that you have. I mean, there's things that uh, I've been thinking about for years that are just starting to come into play that that just started as an idea of, well, wait a minute, why do we do it this way? What if there was a, a better way? You know, maybe it's not possible now, but 
I can put that idea off to the side and as technology becomes available or as my knowledge grows, bit by bit, I can kind of go back to that dream and to that idea. So I would just encourage you guys with, with wherever you're at, think about that vision. Where do you want to go? Where do you want your team to go? Where do you want your company to go? And this goes beyond business as well. I mean, this goes into just your personal life, your relationships and, and everything. But I would argue that without vision, the people perish. There was a wise man that said that about 3,000 years ago. And I think that vision is where it's at. So I hope you got some great value out of that conversation. If you want to continue this, head over to the website, itsfiretime.com. And over there, you can shoot me a message to continue this conversation. I'd love to keep the dialogue going. In the meantime, thank you so much for stopping by. I can't tell you how excited I am for what you're going to bring to the table in the future. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all into burn.